Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another episode of Felony Friday on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Every single week on this show, we strive to expose injustice in the broken criminal justice system. During today's show, we're going to welcome another member of the Lions of Liberty Pride on a Felony Friday. Last week, we had Brian McWilliams on, and we're going to have none other than Mark Clare on today's episode. But before I introduce Mark, I just want to remind you guys, because we're going to be talking about a lot of different stories, a lot of different felonies in the news. So if you want to follow along, if you want to read the stories, you should definitely go to the show notes page at lionsofliberty.com slash FF17. This is episode 17, so it's easy to remember. It's just lionsofliberty.com slash FF17. I'll post links to everything we're going to talk about there, and you can follow along at home. Like I said, my guest today is Mark Clare. Uh, If you aren't familiar with Mark, then you probably haven't listened to many episodes of the Lions of Liberty podcast because he hosts just about everything other than Felony Friday. Um, Mark is a co-founder of Lions of Liberty. He's the creator of the Lions of Liberty podcast, and he is doing the show today recovering from food poisoning. Mark, it's great to have you back on Felony Friday. It's great to be back once again, except for the whole food poisoning thing. But, you know, you can't win them all. You know, you can't win them all. You can't. And the issues that we're going to discuss today are are very important. And uh, even a slight tinge of food poisoning ain't going to stop us. Nothing's going to keep your liberty down. Nothing's going to turn your liberty exactly, down. Just yeah. keep it turned up. That's what the kids are saying today, I right? think I'm on the upswing. I don't feel wonderful, but uh, you know, there's no more convulsions or anything like that. So I am just have a, a general feeling of ickiness. You know, The same sort of feeling you get after watching uh, basically a Republican debate or a Democrat debate for that matter. Look, fair enough. Well, if you need to vomit, we'll just pause the show and start right and back no one up. Will so ever know. Let me know. Never know. <laughs> Nobody will ever know the magic of podcasts. Little do you guys know, I already puked twice during this discussion, but we edited it out. So. <laughs> It's amazing. It's amazing. So, Mark, I haven't talked to you in podcast form for a little while here. And I think since the last time I talked to you on a podcast, you had a little bit of a you had a doctor on your show, Dr. Ron Paul. So I just wanted to ask you something about that. Sure. How much has your life changed pre and post Ron Paul? <laughs> like now when you go out to a bar, do people just buy you drinks? You know, do people want to take selfies with you? Has it changed your life? It has just completely turned my world upside down. I've turn into a celebritarian. I'm constantly getting tweets. I'm constantly getting Facebook messages, uh, most of them from creepy looking spam bots. But um, yeah, no, honestly, nothing's changed at all. (laughs) Except I feel great that I finally got to interview Dr. Ron Paul. It has certainly gotten the show some more attention. Uh, You know, obviously it was a pretty well listened to episode. So that's always nice because, you know, we put in so much work doing this stuff and we don't do it to uh, make millions of dollars or to make any dollars at this point. And uh, we do it because we know that there are certain things in the world. There are injustices out there that need to be pointed out. And, you know, that's why you do Felony Friday to point out these injustices. And uh, that's kind of what we're going to talk about today but the guy that inspired all this in many ways was ron paul so it really did uh, he he got the ball rolling at least uh, intellectually speaking and in terms of uh, getting us inspired to speak vocally about our political beliefs so uh, it was very very cool to talk to him and uh, of course i recommend going to check out that interview episode 200 of the lions of liberty podcast which you can find at lionsofliberty.com slash 200 and if for some reason you can't remember that, I will link to it in the show notes as well. If you're already staring at those, you can just scroll on down and click on Google, it and listen to you it. You can Google Ron Paul Lions of Liberty there. If you can't find it and you're listening to a podcast, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what to tell you. 
Yeah, you should probably just, I don't know. We'll, we'll just leave it there. We'll just leave it there. You'll find it if you want to listen. I believe you. So let's get started talking about these felonies. We got a four or five to talk about today. First one comes from Jensen Beach, Florida. And this has uh, two felons got in a little trouble uh, shooting some firearms at a gun range. You sound like Larry King queuing up a guest. Uh, Jensen Beach, Florida. You're on Felony Friday. Jensen Beach, Florida. I, I don't even know where that is. I know it's, I mean, it's a beach in Florida. They're pretty much all the same, right? As far as I know. The two guys' names, Aldrick James Lott and John Robert Rooker, gave their full names. Must be a pretty distinguished fellow. there. Are they assassins? There. Usually they reserve the three name for uh, you know, people that you know assassinate presidents or, or John Lennon or that kind of thing. Eh, assassins or lawyers or, yeah, I don't know. Three names, common with both. Okay, so uh, Mr. Lott and Mr. Rucker entered a gun shop, an indoor shooting range, last November. And everything would be fine with that, of course, for the fact that they are felons. And Lott and Rucker were recorded on video surveillance shooting targets with multiple firearms, including a Glock 30, a Smith & Wesson MP40, and a high point nine millimeter pistol. So what's the problem with convicted felons, you know, shooting firearms? Well, they're not allowed to by federal law, not allowed to be around firearms, not allowed to hold a firearm, not allowed to hold even ammunition. So even just being in that gun range, they're in trouble just for being there. And what happened is law enforcement, uh, they actually left two of their guns there. The Glock and the Smith & Weston pistol were left at the store for cleaning. And I think they ran a check on the guns at the gun store there. They called law enforcement and the guns were determined on top of the fact that they were felons. The guns were stolen. So two strikes there. And then in December, federal law enforcement and local law enforcement agencies executed three search warrants on residents connected to Lot and Rucker. And authorities, when they executed their search warrants, recovered a nine millimeter pistol, a second firearm and various rounds of ammunitions. And that was from the home connected to Lot. Then a second home connected to Lot. They found magazines, more ammunitions, another Smith & Wesson pistol. And then from when they at uh, Rucker's residence, they found some narcotics. So not connected to the firearms, but land himself in yet even more trouble. These are just a couple of fun-loving dudes, huh? Yeah, yeah, just uh, living the dream, I guess, there. And they're going to be living the dream in prison for a long time. Uh, Rucker was sentenced to 57 months in prison to be followed by three years supervised release and lot 185 months in prison to be followed by three years supervised release. So these guys are in some serious trouble. And obviously you can say that they stole the guns. That's terrible thing. You shouldn't steal anything, but let's just go back to, uh, let's talk about the root of the problem here. These are felons. These are guys released from jail. Mark, do you think that it should be illegal for a felon, and they didn't say in the article, unfortunately, these are violent or nonviolent felons, so we'll just say felons altogether, for a felon to go to a shooting range to own a firearm. Well, those are almost, I mean, two different layers. I mean, you could almost separate them if you wanted. Maybe you could say they shouldn't own a firearm, but we could still allow them at the range. I, of course, would say they should be allowed to do all of these things because to me, and we've discussed this before, but I mean, if someone is to have rights then they need to have their rights. And if someone is going to be determined to be free in society, to be allowed to leave the confines of the jail cell for whatever reason they were sentenced to be there, once they are a free citizen of some kind, I feel that they really do need to have all of their rights, including the rights to own a firearm, the rights to go to the shooting range as well. 
it's not clear that to me from the article exactly was it the fact that they were stolen that that flagged this thing or and that they only find out that they were felons afterwards because it's it's really not clear because it looks like that they it was just running the check on the guns that pointed out the fact that they were stolen so obviously you know the fact that they stole guns that's obviously a crime and they should obviously go to jail for that i don't know how i feel about extra i do know how i feel i don't think that there should be extra punishment one way or the other for simply having already been a felon if they indeed did serve their time for whatever they were sentenced for prior to that. Yeah, I'm assuming what happened is probably to use the gun range or probably to give some identification so they gave their names and driver's license numbers and whatnot. And then when they left the firearms, they it's probably standard procedure when they're cleaning a gun to maybe to run a check to see if it's stolen. That'd be probably a smart thing to do. So they probably found that connected to the names. Pretty stupid really for these felons to do that. Um, bringing illegal guns and leaving them to be cleaned. You can't feel bad for these guys, number one, because they stole these firearms, but number two, because even though you you and I might believe that it's not right for felons to be prohibited from owning firearms, that is the law, and they should know the law, and if they don't want to go back to jail... They really should obey the law, especially they should obey it, you know, not just overtly be breaking it. This is actually a pretty good uh, interlude to our next segment here because we're talking about gun rights being prohibited from felons. And in the state of Virginia, the governor there just gave felons another right back or at least felons retroactively. It's not uh, going forward yet. But the governor in Virginia, Governor Terry McAuliffe, Mark can say it better than I can. Terry McAuliffe. There we go. There, it's perfect. Oh, the wheel at the governor of Virginia, Terry McAuliffe. <laughs> Little did you know, Mark is actually Irish. So that's... Uh, yeah. It's true. And I only recently found that out through uh, the fine folks at 23andMe. So for, for just so under it's... 200 bucks and a little bit of saliva, you too can know the full contents of your DNA. So it's proof that your, your drinking problem can always be attributed back to your Irish I, heritage. I can now have something to blame it on. <laughs> so uh, a little more details, a little, little more background on this, uh, on the, the governor of Virginia signing this here. The governor's order applies to all violent and nonviolent felons who had finished their sentence and supervised release as of the Friday that he signed it. And this restored their voting rights. Uh, previous Virginia governors had restored rights on an individual basis, but nothing done to an entire category with a single pen stroke to this point. Now, the order stops short, like I said, of creating an automatic restoration of rights. If the governor of Virginia wants to this to go forward in the future, they would have to submit new legislation or he's going to have to sign a similar order or sign, a, I should say, not new legislation. But he would have to sign a similar order every single month. Now, the reaction to this, of course, it's being skewed as a, a political ploy, which I would argue probably is. I don't think uh, Governor Mc- Terry McAuliffe there really cares too much about felons. Um, if he did, he would have done this on his first day in office or would have worked for it on his first day in office. And he's been in office for more than a day. So you, you know it's a little bit politically motivated. Obviously, people have tied it to the fact that you know it's a, Virginia is a big state to get for the, in the general election, and this would really help Hillary Clinton, assuming that a lot of these convicted felons would vote for Hillary Clinton, which is another topic we'll get to in a minute. Before we talk about that, Mark, what are your thoughts on this and what are your thoughts on voting rights being restored to felons in general? Well, overall, I would say it's the same theory as with gun rights. If you're free in society and I don't see any reason why the fact that you were in jail or were a felon should remove the right to cast your vote. Now, you know, we have different thoughts on voting. I mean, I don't necessarily think voting is, you know, the number one way to change things in society. And it can't be directly compared to gun rights because gun rights are a little different 
in the sense that, you know, that's a matter of self-defense. It's a matter of personal protection. It's a clear-cut matter of individual rights. And to deprive someone of their right to own a firearm, I think it's a clear violation of their rights. Whereas voting, it's sort of a different thing. I mean, no one has a natural right to vote, you know? You do have a natural right to defend yourself. You don't have a natural right to vote. And any kind of man-made governmental systems, you know, we might have different ideas about how people could form their own systems of governance. And of course, anybody that joined a certain system of governance would be able to vote or have a say in whatever way is laid out. However, in our current society, we don't really, you know, our government is not based on the private property of individuals in this country. Our government is just kind of set up and we live under it and we are basically forced to participate or not participate. But knowing that whether we participate or not, at least the vote is something that we should all equally have if we're going to be under this system of direct democracy. You know, if we're going to be in a coercive democracy, essentially is what I would call it, uh, we should allow equal voting rights for all citizens. I think that's pretty clear to me, or at least for all adults or however we want to determine what that is. But just to simply remove them from felons doesn't make sense. Now, it's interesting that, I guess, previous governors had restored voting rights, but only on an individual basis, because to me, that's kind of hypocritical. I mean, either, you know, either felons shouldn't have voting rights or felons should. Now, maybe there's some governors were differentiating between violent felons or what have you. But I mean, at the end of the day, like I said, with the gun thing, if the courts or society or whatever has determined that you are allowed to be free and don't have to be in jail and you have served your time. I mean, the punishment needs to end there. We can't have these extra punishments that just hang around your neck like an albatross for the rest of your life. That's a really good point. When you were comparing felons having their voting rights or their gun rights prohibited, I'm sure that most felons in Virginia and nationally would probably vote to have their Second Amendment rights rather than their voting rights. I just think that affects you a little more personally. I could be wrong, but if I were a felon or if I was going to have one right, I would definitely pick the right to defend myself over the right to participate in democracy. They both are valuable, but I would think the, the gun rights are more valuable. Now, what I want to talk about one kind of interesting aspect here, and you can weigh in on this too, Mark, if you agree with, with where I'm going with this. It's sort of interesting when you think about Probably a good amount of these felons in Virginia, the nonviolent variety, the drug war offenders, some of them probably landed in jail as a result of former President Bill Clinton's anti-crime legislation. He touted this for a long time. Years after his presidency is some great achievement. And then in the past couple of years, he started to disavow the law, saying he went too far. Of course, doing that to prep for Hillary's run, because Hillary's obviously right now, as she's running, she's appealing to the population, the African-American population, the lower income population, a lot of people that have been affected by these drug laws that have been negatively affected by Bill Clinton's anti-crime legislation. And now it's kind of ironic that this Democratic governor in Virginia changing this, making it so felons can vote, a lot of people that were put in jail, some of them I'm sure were put in jail because of Bill Clinton's anti-crime legislation are now going to be released to vote for Hillary Clinton. So isn't that a little bit ironic, Mark? Yeah, I mean, why is there this assumption that ex-felons are going to vote for Hillary? Now, I mean, they might. I assume that Terry McAuliffe thinks they might, because I do believe that even if I agree with the move in principle, uh, it's obviously probably politically motivated, because like you said, he would have been, he's been governor for a few years. He probably would have been fighting for this issue since day one. And the fact that, you know, we're about to see Hillary in this battleground state in this intense fight, I'm sure that plays a pretty strong factor in things. I'm not sure. I mean... I think everyone would agree that a lot of these felons are going to vote for Hillary, but I don't think if they are, they're not thinking about the issue because for the longest time, as I said, Hillary and Bill were, 
you know, for they were in favor of and touting and pushing the legislation that put a lot of these people in jail. So just looking at it from a personal perspective, they should think, my gosh, this lady, you know, ruined my life. Why would I vote for her? So you would think there would be some that, that wouldn't, and I'm sure not all of them will. That would just be crazy if you know they released all these, <laughs> get let all these felons vote, and they all vote for Hillary. That would that might raise some eyebrows. But yeah, I mean, who else are they going to vote for? You know, they're going to vote for Donald Trump. It's, Maybe Donald Trump has appealed to, I think, laxing drug laws a little bit. It's hard to really know which day you're talking to Donald where he stands on the issue now, but. I don't think these felons are going to vote libertarian. They might. Maybe they're listening to the show. If they're listening to Felony Friday, maybe they will vote libertarian. Donald Trump wants to make felons great again. He does. He does. And he loves them very, very much. I love felons. I love felons. I've been to prisons. I've got an uncle who's a felon. I just love, love, love felons. They're great people. Great, fantastic people. Uh, speaking of Trump, I posted this today at our uh, Lions of Terror yesterday. This is early in the week, Monday. We're recording this. Um, in our Lions of Liberty forum, our private Facebook group on Facebook. And you can join the private Facebook group by searching Lions of Liberty forum on Facebook. Our group will pop right up and you can join it and we'll approve you. I posted it there. There's a new group called Lions of Trump. (laughs) I think we should have a debate between the Lions of Liberty and the Lions of Trump. I think we should try to arrange that, maybe a podcast. Are they part of like the Libertarians for Trump group? And then they're just trying to like kind of saddle onto our Lions theme? I have no idea. I haven't done any research. Maybe I'll look into that. Probably not. But if anyone out there knows anything about the Lions of Trump, then please forward that information. Why do I feel like the Lions of Trump are a biker gang that we don't want to mess with? They actually might be a biker gang. Because the article was mostly about a biker gang that was running private security at Trump rallies. All right. Well, there you go. We don't want to mess with the biker gang. That's Probably best we don't. That's where I draw the line at biker gangs. Okay. So now it is time to play... America's fastest growing podcast game show. Is this a crime? And should anyone do time? Now, Mark, this is your third time playing the show. So by now, you know how this goes. Are you ready? Oh, I'm so ready. Uh, This is my favorite game show to play on a podcast. (laughs) You've played game shows before? Other places? Uh, No, I haven't, I guess. The price is right. No, I played like the home game version of Family Feud before. That counts for something. I I don't know. Not sure what it counts for, but it counts for something, Um, I guess. The first story here, actually, this might be one of my favorite ones on Is This a Crime and Trading with Time for many reasons, because of its ridiculousness, but also because I think there is some libertarian principles we can glean from this. So this occurred in Springdale, Arkansas. All the craziest things always happen in Arkansas, it seems. This happened at a McDonald's. A McDonald's manager called police to report a robbery, questionable use of the word robbery, after three men allegedly ordered large waters through the drive-thru, dumped them out, went inside and filled them up with soda. So first of all, that's a probably a normal thing for teenagers to try to do. So what happens is the manager sees this happening. This is a McDonald's manager who I will say is taking his job very seriously, which I guess I respect that. Sees the kids do this, confronts them. Two of the guys, two of the men, I should say, I think they're all over 18. Uh, two of the men returned their drinks. But the third, a Mr. Cody Morris, reportedly fled. And not only did he just... Flea. He didn't flee on foot. He got in his car, and I was, this manager was taking his job very seriously. The manager jumped in front of the car <laughs> trying to stop it, and this guy, this 18-year-old kid, hit him with his car, all for stealing some soda. That, anyway, he really does take his job seriously. That He would <laughs> he will literally risk his life to prevent the theft of this soda, and really, if you think about it, I mean, once the soda is in the cup, it's I mean, it's gone. 
you're not going to serve that soda to another customer. <laughs> so it really seems like a, a silly thing to stand up and fight for. I mean, but I mean, I guess I, in, in a strange way, I do actually respect it. Yeah. So come on, McDonald's, promote this manager. He is diehard McDonald's. You got <laughs> to get this guy over. in an executive role immediately. So they found this kid at a bowling alley a little bit later, and he was charged with felony robbery. I'm assuming the, the robbery part, I think with the robbery, it has to be some sort of violent act. And that had to be him hitting the manager with the car because just stealing the, the soda, that's not robbery. That's, that's just theft, petty theft. And he was released on $2,500 bond. So why on earth would a manager risk his life? That's one question. For that soda, I don't know. Jumping in front of a car. I'm not and why would a teenager that. not just stop when confronted and just hand the soda over and say, it got me this time, and then just go home? And then lastly, the most important question, is this a crime or should anyone do time? All right. So the first one we're just going to brush over. I don't know why the manager was so serious about the soda issue, but, you know, he's dedicated to his job. So fair enough. Yeah, it also seems like a silly thing to play your flag on if you're Cody Morris. I mean, uh, his two friends gave the sodas back and uh, everything went. And again, why do they care if they give the sodas back? At the worst, they should just say, like, don't do that. Get out of here. And I mean, getting the soda back serves no purpose. It's already in another customer's cup. But anyway, um, it's kind of like, I guess, a punitive damage. Like if cops catch a kid underage drinking, they'll, you know, they'll they'll pour out all the beer in a toilet or something in front of them. So makes sense. But uh and then, uh, is this a crime, though? And should anyone do time? Now, that is difficult. Well, no, it's not difficult if he really ran him over with his car. <laughs> so for that part, 100% a crime. And technically, you know, if we're going to be technical here and really get down to brass tacks, if you order a water and you then go in and take a soda that you didn't pay for, that is theft. Uh, it is a crime. But I wouldn't say that crime on its own deserves time. Because I think, I mean, if you got an 18-year-old kid, you know, you shouldn't ruin a kid's life because he's, you know, poured some soda instead of water, you know. Find the kid, make him pay, you know, four times the cost of the soda, so like two bucks. I don't know. I mean, I really don't think somebody should be in prison for such a thing. But clearly, when you add the element of hitting the manager with your car, uh, yeah, that's a crime. (laughs) That definitely is a crime. So uh, I don't really have too much sympathy for this kid. I mean, if he got arrested just for the soda, thing, which is kind of what I, I thought when I first saw the headline. That's what they made it seem like. If that was the only thing he did and he got arrested, I mean, I, I would hope there'd be a more reasonable way to resolve that issue than by sending a kid to jail or trying to prosecute him or any of that stuff. But the fact that he hit him with his car, I think that changes the game. So I'm going to say it is a crime because he hit him with his car. I mean, it's pretty clear cut. Should he do time? Oh, see, I was trying to wiggle out of that one. You know what? For hitting somebody with a – see, I don't necessarily – I mean that brings us to our whole crime and punishment system. Like I don't necessarily think you know, the justice system should be about punishment per se, although that certainly can be an aspect of it. I mean if someone is a rapist, uh, they should probably be punished for that. But really what it should be doing in the case of crimes with victims, you generally want to compensate the victim. So I'd be more prone to just say – is there a way we can that this Cody Morris can compensate the victim of his crime, which in this case was the manager who hit with his car? But to not avoid the question completely, I suppose in a, in a criminal justice system where jail time is standard for assaulting people, then he probably should do a little time, even if it wouldn't be necessarily the uh, the ideal way I would you know lay out a justice system. But uh, you know, it's clearly a crime. It is as stupid as the thing it started with is. It turned into a crime when he ran him over with the car. Yeah, well, I, I don't know if you ran him over with the car. Or hit him with um, the car or whatever. I mean, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I have to see it. Still. Is the manager exaggerating? Did he just, like, 
you know, did he stand next to the car and kind of get brushed off while he was driving off? Or was he truly like hit with the car? I mean, and then injured. I mean, I don't know the details. It doesn't seem like those details are really available. So, yeah. but it, no, not, for, from the information not. we have, if he hit him twice with his, well, in fact, he was hit twice too. I mean, one time I might be able to say could have been an accident, but uh, twice, mm, probably not. So I'm sticking with the crime and the time for this one. I think that might be my first time. There you have it. There you have it. This kid is getting no love. And that is a bit of a provocative headline, of course. You know, obviously, there's much more to the story than just stealing the soda. So, yeah, it's a crime and he should do time. And I agree with you, Mark. I think this kid needs to learn a lesson. I don't know if he should you know, have a felony on his record for this, but, you know, maybe he should. That is a violent act. If he did indeed really hit this person with this car, this manager is not trumping up these allegations. So I definitely agree with you. I wanted to talk about for the next item here, and is this a crime? Should anyone do time? A story that's been covered in the mainstream recently. And just this week, it broke. Uh, this is, the, uh, of course, the Tamir Rice shooting in Cleveland. And just this week, it broke that the city of Cleveland is paying $6 million to settle the uh, Rice family's lawsuit that they brought over this shooting. Now, if you're not familiar, if you don't remember the story, I'll post links to it. I'm not going to go in depth on it here. We've talked about it on past podcasts. We've written about it. I will link to it in the show notes, but I'll, I'll just you know talk about quickly what happened. This is the case, of course, where this uh, with Tamir Rice was playing in the park with a toy gun. And Officer Timothy Lohman, who was a, a trainee at the time, an officer trainee, shot Tamir just moments after arriving on the scene in the park. Someone in the park actually called and said, you know, there's this man in the park with a gun. It could be a toy gun. I don't know if that wasn't passed on to the officer or not. But anyway, the officer shows up. And if you've seen the video, it is absolutely it's traumatic and disgusting. This officer jumps out of the car and immediately shoots this kid. And of course, they say the officers say that he reached for his waistband, which could be, uh, you know, which they're saying he, he was reaching for his gun. So just a, a very sad case altogether. And of course, the awarding of the $6 million, that's not coming from these officers. These officers face no criminal charges. A grand jury in 2014 did not indict them. I and mean, actually, the DA who did not indict them was voted out. So maybe that's a, a positive thing for voting in your district attorneys, I guess. The positive thing that came from that, that guy's out of a job or at least out of the, the public sphere. I guess the question here is, Mark, do you think the act of this officer pulling up, jumping out of his car and shooting Tamir Rice without even, uh, you know, you could argue that he, he could have hid behind his car, could have hid behind the car door, pulled his gun and, and yelled at him if you really did think that he was carrying a gun. Do you think that this was a crime that this officer killed Tamir Rice? Well, if you'd only set it on paper, if you just read what happened you might think that it's kind of a tough call because, yeah, they got a report of this guy with a gun. First of all, is it illegal to carry a gun in Ohio? It might be. It is in my state, but uh, I don't know if, if it's the same in Ohio. So if, is that even cause to call police? I believe it is to at least to open carry. It's yeah. uh, against a lot of open carry most places. And this would be, I guess, a case of open carry. OK, well, fair enough. I mean, you know, the, the officer probably when they get that call is probably a little on edge. You know, they heard about some of the guns. So now they are suddenly thinking that they're in a potentially life threatening situation. So you can understand why they might be a little, you know, on edge when they get there. So if you read the story and you think, Oh my God, it looked like a guy with a gun and, and then the officer shot him in self-defense. You might think that it's potentially reasonable, but when you see the video, I mean, the video is just the officer just rolls up and shoots the kid. I mean, it's, it's it happened so fast that you got to think there was just no 
even thought about doing any due diligence on this matter at all to see what was going on, see who it is. I don't believe he was pointing a gun at anybody in particular. It wasn't someone's life in immediate danger. So, I mean, it seems like a, an overreaction at best. And, uh, you know, it, I don't know if I can necessarily go as far as to say it's 100% a crime. Because, again, I don't know all the specifics of the circumstances of what was actually happening on the ground. I only know what I saw from the video. I don't know what the officer was told. But I think he does, should be... Now, there should be a trial. I think there should be a criminal trial, probably. And, you know, a grand jury declined to have one. So we can say, oh, well, there's not, it's just not going to happen. But, you know, we've talked before about the grand jury system and, and how rigged that can be in favor of the police officers. And it's almost in, impossible to get a grand jury to uh, indict a police officer because the system is basically set up to protect the police officers. So we can't really use that as, as a measure of right or wrong here. But um, I certainly lean towards crime. It's just, it's a very serious thing because if it's a crime, then you pretty much have to advocate for this officer to be in jail for life or perhaps get the death penalty depending on, you know, the state and, and what your beliefs are. So to me, it's at best negligence. You know, if it's not intentional homicide, it's at best, you know, negligent manslaughter or something like that because clearly this was just a very quick reaction, a quick deadly reaction to a situation that didn't need to be one. An awful situation really any way you look at it. And like I said, there's a $6 million payment from the city of Cleveland. It's going to be two, I think two, $3 million payments, something like that. An odd thing I saw about this, according to the terms of the settlement of this agreement, the city is acknowledging no fault in Tamir's death. They're acknowledging no fault in the settlement, but they're paying the family $6 million. Am I wrong, Mark, or is not just making the payment? And of course, this is not coming from, you know, out of the administrators or the police officers or, or these two police officers who were there and the one who, who shot Tamir. It's not coming out of their pocket. It's coming out of the taxpayers of Cleveland. So is there any way that that does that make sense? Is it possible that the city can acknowledge no fault and then pay six million dollars? Am I missing something? Well, it's possible, but it doesn't make sense. <laughs> but it, it is what happens. I mean, that that's. A big problem with our system of justice here is that, I mean, there is a, a blue bias. I mean, if you're a member of law enforcement, you're simply not going to receive the same uh, level of justice as a, a citizen would. And, you know, the fact is, if I rolled up and shot Tamir Rice, I would at least, you know, be arrested. <laughs> I would at least have a little bit more research done into the case and I'd probably be put on trial. And if I lost that trial, I would probably go to jail or perhaps I, out of my own pocket, would have to pay Tamir Rice's family $6 million. But it and in cases like this, it's just, I mean, there's no right answer because the family does deserve justice. They probably do deserve to be compensated. But who are they being compensated by? Not by the officers, not by the people that did this, but by themselves because they're taxpayers, by the, the city of Cleveland. And that's just, uh, it kind of reminds me of the Eric Dorner. Eric Dorner was his name. I think that was his name out here. Eric Dorner, yeah, the guy who was running from the right. cops. Right, I mean, out here, in a, when the police were hunting for this guy, they uh, in the midst of all this, they shot up a truck with two Asian ladies because they thought the truck was the same truck that Dorner was driving. And uh, you know, the, the ladies didn't die, but they were injured, and uh, they received millions of dollars for the injuries paid by the city of Los Angeles, but the officers didn't get in trouble. So it's like, it's the same thing. They're admitting a wrong and, you know, putting all this money out there. And then at the same time, you know, they're saying, but we didn't do anything wrong because no one's going to face any charges. And uh, in the case of uh, Cleveland, they're actually saying, oh, we did nothing wrong. But hey, here's six million bucks. It makes no sense. No, it doesn't make any sense. And, you know, really, I did want to talk about this today for a couple of reasons. But, you know, the reason I do this show is to highlight injustice in the criminal justice system. That's the major the major overarching reason why I do it. And of course, the biggest injustice here is that Tamir Rice is dead. 
and he's dead and the person that shot him is not going to be held responsible for it, is not going to be held accountable for it. That's the biggest injustice. But there's also another injustice where the people of Cleveland, the taxpaying citizens there, are going to be forced to pay for it. They're being punished for it. Sure. And, and I'm sure there's going to be like some school that's underfunded in Cleveland and is going to be like 20,000 short of needing new books. And then and we're going to be like, oh, yeah, but no problem to get six million dollars to pay out to uh, Tamir Rice's family. But I mean, think about obviously I'm not for that system of financing schools and that sort of thing. But if you're a taxpayer and you're having the money forcibly extracted, I guess I would feel better if it was going to my schools than if it was going to pay for officers to murder 12 year old boys. Yes, I would definitely agree. I'd rather have money, rather have public money going to schools than to murder. So that's, I'm going to run for president. We, That'll yeah. be my slogan. Schools, schools, not it's murder. It's just schools with that greater than symbol, murder. There you <laughs> schools go. are greater than murder. That's going to be uh, 2020. First libertarian to run on a, a public school funding platform. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know, stranger things have happened. Hey, public school. Hey, at least it's not murder, except when it is. There you go. There you go. So that's all we have today, Mark. Thank you for coming back on the show for a third time, your third appearance on Felony Friday. I'm racking them up. I think I'm the current leader, right? You are the leader. Brian McWilliams is on your heels, but you are the leader. You are the current leader. So is there anything you, do you want to talk about the, your episode on Monday coming up? Who do you have on the show? Monday. Let's see. Monday, I'll be welcoming back. Uh, I don't know if you remember James Newcomb. He was the guy who joined me on the show uh, about a year ago to uh, discuss his situation at the time as a uh, conscientious objector. He was uh, stationed in the U.S. Army, stationed in North Korea, and he was attempting to get out of his service. Well, I'm bringing him back on the show to give us a little update a year later. And um, spoiler alert, he is no longer in the Army. So uh, this all worked out, but uh, we're going to kind of try to get some of the details on that and have a little discussion about uh, how it all went down. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, definitely listen to the whole podcast. I know Mark just did spoil the podcast, but you want to hear the details in between what happened. Well, we spoil it in the first minute anyway, so it wasn't a major spoiler alert. So check that out on Monday. And of course, if you're thinking, well, how can I remember to check that out? Well, it's easy. All you do is you can go to our show notes page and we have a link right there to click to subscribe on iTunes or on Stitcher. Or you can just, as we were talking before, go to Google and search Lines of Liberty iTunes or Stitcher and you'll find our pages where you can sign up for iTunes or Stitcher to receive our shows and subscribe. So you will, you could do this and have the show just zipped right into your uh, your iPhone there or your Android device on Monday, ready for you to listen. So go ahead and do that right now if you haven't. And you can also go on there and you can rate the show. Give us five stars if you like what we're doing. And if you really like what we're doing, please share the show. You know, email it out to your friends, text it, share it on Facebook, Twitter, Google Plus. If people still use Google Plus, share it on all that stuff. And you can check out all the past Felony Friday shows. Go to lionsofliberty.com slash Felony Friday. A lot of good content there. Check it all out. And you can see, you can find all of the podcasts we've had on Lions of Liberty at lionsofliberty.com slash podcast. You can also, you can find the Ron Paul episode and all of the other past episodes. So be sure to check that out. Thank you all for listening, guys. It's been another great show. I've had a great time talking with my guest, Mark Clare. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning.